covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast for Powered by WTMJ Mobile. I'm your host, Matt Pauley, with you for the next hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. A few formalities to uh, get out of the way. Don't know where you listen to the podcast. Perhaps you just head to uh, WTMJ.com or you go to the WTMJ mobile app. And if that's the case, that is certainly all right. If you do happen to uh, listen on uh, iTunes uh, via Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, uh, always uh, appreciate people who subscribe to the podcast. And also, if you want to leave a review for the podcast, that uh, helps out as well. If you ever want to get back in contact with me, there are multiple ways to do so. Uh, tweeting at me is always the easiest thing, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. But you can also drop me an email if you would like, matt.pauley at WTMJ.com. We've got a full program today. Uh, we are going to be uh, talking with Adam Rigg in uh, about 10 minutes or so. He is uh, he is the Brewer Nation, also an author over at uh, FanRag Sports. So we'll talk to him uh, just uh, about everything going on with the Brewers after a very, very good week. And the Brewers continue to be in pretty solid position going into a run for the playoffs. We're also going to begin a series of kind of look backs at some of the minor league affiliates. Now, we're not going to do them all in uh, succession. Uh, still have some minor league teams that are uh, in action and will be in action in the postseason, specifically the Sky Sox at AAA. So uh, this is something that will occur uh, over the next uh, couple months probably as we continue on. But uh, we do have our first look back this week as uh, we will look back at the season that was for the Carolina Mudcats. As we record this on Sunday night, they do have one uh, game left on Monday afternoon, but uh, they are not headed to the postseason. So essentially, their game, their season has come to an end, and we'll be joined by uh, Greg Young when we go down on the farm. Uh, their very talented broadcaster, he'll join us coming up in just a little while as well. Uh, this is something I want to get into, and we've talked a lot about it on the radio on WTMJ, whether it's on the post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings uh, on the radio, or uh, other shows that uh, I host on, on occasion uh, on the on the station. The Brewers are in a really good position right now to potentially win the second National League wild card. As we record on Sunday night, the Brewers are a half game back of the Rockies. And quite honestly, the Rockies have been one of the worst teams in the National League since the All-Star break. And the Brewers, they're not, they haven't been one of the best since the All-Star break. They had some, some down periods since the All-Star break. But obviously the Brewers are playing a lot better baseball. And in the last week and a half, two weeks, the Brewers have series wins against the Dodgers and the Brewers have series wins against the Washington Nationals. So obviously the Brewers are playing better baseball. Uh, some people, I think, misunderstand some of the things I'm saying when I talk about the Brewers going for a wild card and really having a better shot at the wild card. They think that just being content with the wild card is the wrong approach. Well, first off, when we talk about this, I talk about it from a watching this team perspective. From the Brewers' perspective, they're going out every single day trying to win the ball games. And whether a half game back of the wild card, a half game up, whether they're four games back of the division or, or, or four games in front of the division, I feel like for the most part they're, they're handling things about the same. Now, we'll, we'll touch on this when we do headlines of the week. They looks like they're going to tweak the starting rotation to try to get some of their best guys pitching in that Cubs series. But the Brewers aren't sitting there worried about our wild card versus division title. They're just trying to win games. They're trying to get their way into the postseason. I've got this belief that right now I want to see this team get into wild card position. That doesn't mean they're not going to win the division, but I think when you when you look at it, there's a better chance of them being a wild card this team than being a division winner. That doesn't mean don't go for the division, that there's no chance of it, but look it's just the numbers. The Brewers as of Sunday night are three and a half games back of the Cubs. And the Cubs are playing some pretty strong baseball recently. They're 7-3 and three over the course of their last 10 games. And they definitely have some red flags. They certainly have some issues. You know, things pop up all the time. But the Cubs are playing some really good baseball. And while the Brewers have seven games against them left, really the, the Brewers probably have to go 5-2 and two in those seven games to do much about that deficit. 
Uh, you win four of seven. You feel good about it, but you've only knocked a single game off that deficit. So as the Brewers inch closer and closer to moving into wild card position, that's when I, I want to see them do that. I want to see them get into that position. Again, half game back as of Sunday night. We'll see what happens by the time you're listening to it with it being a holiday week. Maybe on Monday the Brewers win and the Rockies lose. And by the time you're listening to this, the Brewers have already moved into a, a wild card spot, which is great. Now, once the Brewers can move into a wild card spot and maybe even put a little bit of distance between them and the Rockies, if that's possible, then from a from a fan perspective, from a watching this team perspective, it's a, okay, now what do they need to do to to run down the Cubs? I'm, I'm amazed at how many people seemingly would be disappointed with the Brewers being a wild card team. This is a team that nobody had as a playoff team, and I think no matter what happens down the stretch in September, whether they make the playoffs or don't, whether they get the wild card of the division, whatever it might be, this has obviously been an incredibly successful year for the Brewers, and just these young group of uh, guys being able to play these meaningful games of September has a huge impact. It has a huge impact on this team going forward. I think they're in spectacular position to possibly be a playoff team. And I, I view the more likely scenario be them walking through that, that wild card door. I, I don't believe in the Rockies. I think the Rockies, they just haven't been good uh, since the All-Star break. And they, they don't look good. Their playoff percentage chance now has now dropped below 50% according to uh, ESPN. ESPN does this uh, playoff percentage deal. And uh, it's uh, right now, as we talk on Sunday night, uh, the, the Rockies' percentage chance has dropped below 50 Now, the Brewers are sitting at 31% on that number. That's been moving up recently, and it's going to continue to move up if the Brewers continue to win. But there's as much as you would love to see this team win the division. And they've, they control their own you know, fate in that because of how many games they have left against the Cubs. But no matter what happens, A, good season, being able to be contending in September. Uh, B, a wild card berth would still be something absolutely spectacular, this team getting into the postseason. And C, that doesn't mean that they can't win the division. Let's talk more about them going after that division once they do move into wild card position because that next goal, they are closer to the Rockies than they are the Cubs. If they were a half game out of the division and three and a half games out of the wild card, I wouldn't be saying this. I'd be talking all about them being a team, um, you know, trying to get into that division championship position. That's all I would be talking about. But right now they're closer to the Cubs or closer to the Rockies than they are the Cubs. So that is uh, that's that's what I'm I'm seemingly focused on right now. Can they jump over the Rockies and get into a wild card position? All right, again on the program today we are going to be joined by Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation and FanRag Sports. We are also going to uh, be joined by Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats. That's all coming up on this edition of Brewers Externings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. Headlines of the Week. This past week, uh, a good week for the Brewers. After a week that saw them take two out of three against the Dodgers, they return home for... A uh, two-game series against St. Louis and a four-game series against the Nationals. They split the two games against St. Louis. Kind of a bummer there because you thought the path to a winning homestand was probably sweeping St. Louis and then splitting with the Nationals. Well, they still end up with a winning homestand, and they do so, I think, in even more impressive fashion because they take three of four from the Nationals. And quite honestly, they could have swept the Nationals. Uh, Josh Hader had a rare letdown pitching in back-to-back nights, and that resulted in the Nationals scoring some runs late in that third game of the four-game series. That was the game started by Max Scherzer. Uh, But they take three out of four from the second-best team in the National League, and they, they hold down an offense, even with, without Bryce Harper in the lineup. That Nationals offense is still really, really good. Uh, Corey Knebel, the Brewers' closer, he was named as the National League uh, relief pitcher of the month for the month of August. He was 13 of 13 in save conversions during the month. 
He made 15 appearances, and they were all scoreless. 21 strikeouts, 5 walks, as Knable continues to uh, look like an elite closer. Probably the biggest story of the week, or certainly one of the biggest stories of the week, was the fact that uh, the Brewers elect to remove Matt Garza from the starting rotation, at least for the time being. His spot would have been on Sunday when Brent Suter started, and as as Garza has struggled recently, uh, they're they're giving him some time, and we don't really know how much time. Manager Craig Council says he's still going to be a part of this thing going down the stretch, but you look at Garza and what he has done specifically in the month of August, and over the course of his last five starts, and five of his last starts. Uh, three or more, or three starts he's given up six or more runs, four of the five starts he's given up four or more runs. During that period, his ERA has gone from 3.68 to 4.77. In the month of August, he had a 7.67 ERA. Obviously, he's not pitching well. He had pitched well most of the season. In fact, July was one of his best months, and um, he had a 1.65 ERA in the month of July. I think the thing that stands out to me about this situation, though, has been Matt Garza's response to it. And I want to read you a long quote that Adam McAlvey over at Brewers.com had in his story about it. And you can read it at Brewers.com if you want. This is Garza when talking about being taken out of the starting rotation. I want to go to the postseason. I've been here before, albeit with different shoes on, but it's September and we're actually playing for something and you want to put your best arms on the mound as many times as you can. I just picked a bad time to have a bad month. I want to go to the postseason and I don't want to be the reason that we're not. So I understand it and my job is to turn it around and contribute when I can and be ready when they call me. I'm not discouraged by any means. I just had a bad month at the wrong time and you want your best guys going right now in September. Yeah. Gars is a, a bit of a punching bag for Brewers fans because of the way he's pitched recently. But what more could you ask from him from a, from a comment standpoint? He admitted he's not pitching well. He acknowledged the fact that when a team's in a postseason race, you got to feel very comfortable with who you've got out there pitching, and it's his job to go get better. I completely wore everything. And I, I appreciate his, his approach and his attitude on that. Now, he may start on Wednesday. We don't, as we record this on Sunday night, we, we don't know who's going to start on Wednesday. Uh, Jimmy Nelson, as it sits right now, probably going to be pushed back. So he would end up facing the Cubs, which is a more important game. If you push back Jimmy Nelson, he would also be in position to potentially start a wild card playoff game, or even a game 163 if that happens. So that opens up the Wednesday game. Uh, you could you could not bump Jimmy Nelson back, and he could start on Wednesday. You could go with Matt Garza. You could even go with Junior Guerra, who threw out of the bullpen on Sunday, but essentially it was like a side session. So there are, op- there, there are options for Wednesday. You could go with a straight bullpen game again like they did uh, on Sunday, although Brent Suter was the starter and he gives you three innings, so he gives you a little bit more. But whatever you do, um, Matt Garza, we just don't know what's going to happen. We just don't know. And I appreciate his comments uh, on what uh, on what he's saying. You still get the sense that he's going to be a part of this thing going down the stretch. But at this point in the year, you know, during during May and June and July, if you've got a pitcher who's struggling, you can kind of stick with him in the rotation and see if he can pitch his way out of it. Not in September, not when you're chasing, and that's where they're at right now. The Brewers' uh, call-ups on September 1st, uh, left-hander Brent Suter and catcher Andrew Susak were activated from the disabled list, and then from AAA, Brett Phillips, Wei Chung Wong, Junior Guerra, and Brandon Woodruff were all called up, and also from uh, AA pitcher Taylor Williams, who... Uh, had missed two full seasons uh, from 2015 to 2016, undergoing Tommy John surgery. He was called up from AA Biloxi. The Sky Sox are in a playoff run. There's a chance that more guys get called up from AAA once that season comes to an end. But you also don't want to have too many guys in that clubhouse and too many guys in the dugout, so there's no guarantee that any more guys are going to get called up. Uh, But those are the call-ups so far, and uh, we've seen that uh, the the way Craig Council's managing the game with these guys available 
lot more liberal in the moves and uh, managing a little bit differently with all these guys available. The waiver trade deadline passed uh, as August came to an end. No major moves for the Brewers. No moves at all for the Brewers. This is the deadline uh, where Justin Verlander got traded from the Detroit Tigers to the Houston Astros. The Brewers, the Brewers move that they made was the Neil Walker move a little bit earlier. That was their big move going into the waiver uh, trade deadline. So uh, no moves at the deadline. I think there was conversations. Uh, they were, but there there just didn't, wasn't anything that was going to work out. I think if they were going to acquire anything at that deadline, it might have been some more pitching, but that did not happen. And I like the way this Brewers team is uh, currently uh, constructed as it is right now. Those are this week's headlines of the week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their t- Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Externings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation and pretty much our monthly conversation from uh, with Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation. Follow uh, Brewer Nation on Twitter at Brewer Nation. Uh, Adam joins us. We always affectionately refer to him as uh, the executive producer of the program because as we got started, he was the guy I completely relied on to help uh, get me connected to uh, most of the people that we have on as guests, and he's just been a resource beyond that as well. Adam, always appreciate your time. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, Teams are a good spot, and I just got friends and move, and I'm hopefully... You know, I'm going to take the next uh, month or so focus on baseball and otherwise take it easy. Should be a very exciting month. And uh, let's start with something that I, there's been a lot of discussion about because as we record this on Sunday night, uh, the Brewers have pulled within a half game of the wild card spot. And uh, more people, including myself, are starting to talk about uh, the possibility of them getting the wild card. I've actually been accused. I had some callers on WTMJ accuse me of being a defeatist because I'm talking more about the wild card than the division. Not that the division is out of reach. It's three and a half games right now, um, and they still have seven games left with the Cubs. So obviously there's still an opportunity for them to win the division. But how much of your focus right now is on the wild card as compared to uh, the division? You mean me or how much of the team should be? No, for you, from, from a fan standpoint, yeah, the team is worried about winning games on an everyday basis. But from a from an onlooker media fan standpoint, how much focus on wild card versus uh, versus division? Well, I'm I'm split fifty fifty right now. Uh, we're chasing both uh, as a fan. Um, you know, obviously closer to a wild card as you mentioned here on Sunday night. Both the Cubs and the Rockies lost today, while the Brewers won. So. You know, it's half game behind the Rockies for the second wild card spot, and it's not exactly you know. Look uh, at the schedules of those teams remaining. The Cubs have, you know, other than the Brewers, they don't really play anybody else uh, worse than them uh, for the rest of this month, uh, at least not record wise. Granted, the Cardinals and the Reds, you know, they always try to play the Cubs tough and whatnot, but um, they, they really don't have much on their schedule. Whereas the Rockies. You know, they've got, I think, another four against Arizona in Arizona. I think they've got four left against the Dodgers, and maybe even two series against the Dodgers, maybe six or seven games against those guys. So it's it's a bunch of really hard games left on Colorado's schedule. So if you put all that together, um, you know, at the end of the day, I guess I'm thinking that the Brewers have a better shot at the wild card at this point. But as far as what I'm paying attention to and what I, I hope that the team is striving for, uh, again, it's 50 50. I'm watching Cubs results and I'm watching Rockies to the next results for, from here on out until the Brewers are in position. Hopefully, uh, you, know, you only have to worry about Arizona uh, and not worry about Colorado. It's been an impressive run here recently for the Brewers. You look at what they've done uh, in their most recent series, two of their last three series, uh, three out of four against Washington, and then they also took two out of three against the Dodgers. What are the Brewers saying right now, having so much success against the best of the best in the National League? Well, so far, um, pretty much wins are wins. And the fact that they're coming against some of the best competition that the league has to offer. You know, Jeremy Jeffers said it after the game today, is that if anything, it gives them a little bit of momentum. And there's this old adage in baseball, and I'm sure you've said on the podcast before, that momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. Um, but the bottom line is that momentum is, is real. You know, 
the other adage in baseball is that hitting is contagious. <laughs> Winning is contagious. Pitching is contagious. So you get on a run, you know, then after a while you start to hit, you get to relax and maybe you start to hit as well. Um, you know, starting pitching has been fantastic lately, which puts less pressure on the bullpen and those guys are able to relax and do their job. And when the starting pitching goes, the bullpen's behind them doing well like they are right now. I think the stat I saw on mine the other day, and I assume it's still the same based on the results of the last couple of days, but the stat at the time was since the Brewers acquired Anthony Swarzak back in July, they have the least best bullpen ERA. So, you know, that helps the starters relax knowing if I give up a run or two, you know, the bullpen's got it, got me in the back end. They're not going to give anything else once I'm done. So let me just air it out, you know, do what I can do and give it over to the bullpen when I have to. So uh, I think the momentum that Jeffress mentioned is a legitimate thing. These guys can feed off of it, feed off of each other, feed off of the success that they're experiencing. And you just have to hope that this team, despite, you know, maybe in spite of being as young as it is, doesn't fall into the trap of, okay, here's Colorado with the series that really matters they're ahead, of, ahead of us in the wild card race. And then they stub their toe in San Francisco. And then they, you know, lock in the series from the Dodgers and split the series with the Cardinals, take the Seattle the Nationals. You hope that they don't lose a little bit of that focus, maybe relax a little bit, and stub their toe against Cincinnati. They really need to take advantage of what they have in front of them. The Reds have a good offense. They have all season. Um, you know, from the Brewers, that can respond. Last time they played Cincinnati, they were in the stretch of one of the worst offensive uh, funks of the season for them. And again, facing Cincinnati's offense at Miller Park uh, several days ago really helped wake them up. So hopefully they can do that and then start to ride that wave on offense a little bit. So it, it, ultimately, what's going on now is they are feeling good, they're feeling confident, and hopefully confidence can continue to breed success. Going back to the you're only as good or your momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. Right now, that's pretty good for the Brewers when you consider the top four, uh, whatever order you want to put them, with uh, Jimmy Nelson, Zach Davies, Chase Anderson, and Brandon Woodruff. The number five starter right now is a question, and we saw Brent Suter on Sunday. Uh, Matt Garza is still in the mix. Who knows? Junior Guerra might be in the mix at some point in time. But uh, when when you look at these top four starters for the Brewers right now, it's uh, – I don't. I don't think any of us could have imagined the kind of run that starting pitching would go on for the Brewers here uh, through August and into September. Yeah, it's really been. Um, you saw flashes from everybody throughout the season. Zach Davies, I think, was when he really got on his current run of success, and it's been a really long run of success. It may even be just yet to throw away. The, the early season struggles, and this is the picture that Zach Davies is. This is the, where he was last year, and this is what he's been doing again this year. But since he kind of got on this run, um, added, added his ability, uh, his um, what he's been able to do on the mound lately to Jimmy Nelson's steady success uh, this season, then I think that kind of helped everybody else. I mentioned before that just relax and kind of kind of work with each other. Chase Anderson comes off the DL and hits the ground running pretty much. I think he, his first start back was a five-inning loss officially, but he really did come back, and he's been strong. And, yeah, as far as seeing it happen, coming into the season, let's remember back in when, when camp was February, so if Matt Benson doesn't have to start the year on the DL, Chase Anderson is not in the rotation. Chase Anderson maybe wouldn't have been on the team. Yeah. Uh, there was there was some talk that he would be traded or possibly DFA and see if they could sneak him through the markers. So, but he was going through the rotation and has been phenomenal the whole year. So nobody saw that coming. Or if he fall the back to February, Jimmy Elton, uh, the, the mechanical tweaks that he made last year, uh, he struggled with them during the last year while he was adjusting. Um, he took a few starts to get into rhythm this year, and again, has been great since. But Nobody really saw that coming. Davies, probably the other way, people expected more out of him than he gave them right away, uh, but he was rather back in the form. So, and even Grazer, with his strong stretch in the middle of the season, I think he had, what, eight to ten starts where he was doing really good at a under four, 
uh, at one point this season ERA. So even for as bad as he was for you know three out of four, three of his four last starts before he got you know quote unquote demoted or at least removed from the uh, primary starting role, um, even he had a lot of success. So yeah, this team has really toned into his own um, getting him, giving this team, giving David Stearns the. Uh, I think a, a glimpse of what he could have as the base of his team going forward. And there's a lot of talk over there, not to get too far off the point, but there's a lot of talk when this rebuild started, uh, doing it like the Cubs did. And oh, look at how close Stearns and Theo are, they're buddies. So he's going to go with the Theo model, which, as we all know now, was acquire and draft bats. And then when the time is right, trade for and acquire pitching, how do you need to? So the fact that right now, anyway, it looks like the Brewers may have 50% of a, a competitive postseason worthy rotation in-house, under contract, pre-arbitration, uh, at least for this season, and Jimmy's arbitration all the next year. I'm remembering from the specific off the top of my head, but the fact that they have what they might have otherwise had to go get already in-house, then you can add one free agent starting pitcher to this group and you might be ready to just go after their division uh, a, a few games next year, or even if the Cubs rebound to what their regular season of 2016, you might be able to compete at that level next year just by adding a piece or two. So it, it's really been uh, a pleasant surprise for the majority of the season. And you get glimpses of guys like Woodruff, as you mentioned, uh, even sooner at the six-man fallback option when he was pressing the duty to fill in for Anderson. Uh, he was fantastic until his shoulder started to bark. So you've, they've really got some options. They've really got a lot of bets. And as we all know, I mean, have to look at the Dodgers, for example. No team makes it through a season with anything less than, I think, eight or nine starters at this point. And those are the lucky teams. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking for probably ten guys that can take the ball uh, in the starting role for you. And if the Brewers have a good sampling of that and quality bets, uh, there's really positioned well for not only this season, but in this next window, uh, as it's pins to open, truly open, as, as Stern's had in his plan, uh, the window of contention is here in, in the next few years. Matt Garza lifted from his uh, last projected start, and what where he goes next, it's unknown. He may start that series finale uh, against Cincinnati on Wednesday. He may not. Nothing's been, as we record on Sunday night, nothing officially has been announced. Uh, Garza has been more bad than good uh, since the beginning of August. He had one good start in there uh, against San Francisco on August 23rd, but outside of that, uh, since uh, pretty much uh, since his second start in August, he's given up four runs or more in all of his starts. He's saying the right things. I was really impressed with Garza's comments uh, that I know Adam McAlvey had over at Brewers.com about, you know, basically saying hey, this is a bad time to have a bad month. Uh, but what do you do with Garza at this point? Do you want to see them maybe pick and choose some spots to put him back into the rotation? Do you want to see him in the bullpen? What would you do with Garza? Well, I think Garza... He's a creature of routine. He started his entire professional career, I think, for like one appearance, maybe when he was early on with Minnesota, I want to say. Uh, maybe he's got the more release appearance, but he's basically been a starter for, you know, as long as he's been a pitcher. And you can look at his win loss record, you can look at some of his supporting stats and some of his peripheral numbers, and, and, and you can see him in, uh, consistently up and down type of pitcher, so consistently inconsistent, I guess. That's where to put it. So you don't really know what you're going to get, and to me, that's dangerous to have coming out of your bullpen. Um, I think his routine, knowing when he's going to start, being able to throw a side session, that's when you're going to be able to get the best out of Matt Garza. And like you said, there's been some starts where you have not gotten good results as your great counsel. Uh, you've gotten unacceptable uh, production. That's why they made the you know the moves that they made. That's why Brent Suter started today, for example, and they went with a bullpen day. But if they choose to go, if they choose to have Jimmy Nelson go and start Friday of the Cubs series, which I think is a smart move, uh, given the current situation of of you know all the circumstances with where they are in the division race, where they are in the wild card, etc. Um, if you choose to have that guy to participate in Wednesday's start 
in Cincinnati, I think the best thing to do is to start Matt Garza and treat him like you treated Brent Suter today. Don't let him go a third time through the order. Maybe you can get twice through the order, depending on how efficiency he's getting and whatnot. Um, but if you look at the last couple of venues where guys have pitched, you know, like I said, in Colorado, which is a launching pad. And there is perhaps no bigger launching pad in baseball, uh, elevation excluded, than the really American ballpark in Cincinnati. So he could, he could struggle there. He could find uh, a, big, a big problem if they let him go to Cincinnati. But if he's going to consider the appeal at all, and that's a situation you do with Jimmy Nelson, um, I guess I would probably start Matt Garza and I'm going to use Matt Garza to, uh, to answer questions as best as I can. Jonathan VR prior to Sunday's game where he goes 0 for 4, uh, he was on a, a, a five-game hitting streak four games in a row uh, prior to two games ago with multiple hits. Uh, he finished August with a three sixty four batting average. So far in three games in September, he's 3 for 10. Uh, so he's putting up pretty solid numbers at the plate recently. We've seen him more getting the start out in center field and then being lifted for a defensive replacement over the last couple innings if the Brewers are winning, especially winning uh, close. Do you like the idea of VR in in center field to keep that bat in the lineup, especially if it keeps going the way it's been going recently? Uh, I, I think it's something that they have to play out and see if they're able to take advantage of it. Um, P.M. Boxton has been, you know, admittedly he will tell you that he is an inconsistent player. He, he has swings, whether he's up or down, it seems to be kind of extreme. He's either really on and driving the baseball all over the ballpark with the occasional strikeout, or he's missing the ball a lot, not seeing it very well, and striking out a lot. Um, but defense, he never takes a day off of defense, which is nice. So for now, if if you're worried, with, if you think he has a downswing, and especially if you want to sneak another left-handed bat into the lineup, and you're not ready to play Brett Phillips because he's young, and because maybe you're, you're holding him in reserve, um, then I think it makes total sense to let VR continue to hit you know, let him continue to maximize and capitalize on the room that he's on. And if you can get that guy to be a fraction of what he was last year um, and what he's shown that he can maybe do again this last month, then that is a dynamic element of your offense that you could recapture down the stretch here and hopefully into a playoff run. And I think if the Brewers are able to do that, if they're able to get you know, to perform at that level, you know, like you said, keep his bat in the lineup, moving him into the infield. But the last couple of days, Broxton can shoot for Eric Thames when the Nationals went to the lefty out of the bullpen. So we all moved into second base. Walker moved from second to first. Uh, Broxton can shoot for Thames, and that was a new defensive alignment. So if they're able to do that and not, you know, use the September roster to their advantage, um, why not? If it helps your offense, which, yes, they scored seven runs today, but it's still been a little bit of a down period over the last few weeks for this offense. And like I said before, hopefully Cincinnati gets them going, but you've got to you know, find production where you can get it. And if VR is going well, you got to keep his bat in the lineup somehow. When Neil Walker came to the Brewers, it seemed like it was a move where he was going to be mainly a second baseman. And his first appearance was at over at third base, uh, as you just alluded to, on these defensive changes where Broxton comes in and VR comes to second. Walker's been going over to first, so he's played a fair amount of first base recently. Are you at all surprised that uh, Neil Walker has turned into a guy who's played so many different positions uh, for the Brewers? I'd have to say no, um, it's only because he came in with the ability to do that. And as we all know, Craig Council loves versatile guys and loves to take advantage of that versatility. He, you see Eric Sogard playing all over, Eric Taylor is playing really all over. Uh, even VR, they're, they're stretching him and putting him in the center field like we just talked about. So you know, the fact that Walker provides that ability to manipulate and to... Uh, Again, using the same words, but to maximize his contributions defensively, to be able to cover for Travis Shaw when he needs a day or when he's got the, the foot ailments because of those foul balls, or whatever the reason that he's been forced around the diamond, you know, you're able to keep that switch hitting that in the lineup uh, by way of giving other guys days off. 
yeah, no, it's not shocking to me at all that Walker's uh, been able to do that for Bruce. It's he's. I don't know about you for sure, but for me, I mean, when, it's almost like a turning point when he got here. This, I, uh, we knew that he was somebody who was going to solidify the roster, but but my goodness, this guy's made a huge impact on this team. Yeah, he, he came in and I mean, he's won a couple of games almost by himself. The, the one game, uh, you know, against Nashville, it was his solo home run in the first inning that, that stood up the whole game, obviously. He needed the pitching to get you to the end, uh, end of that game, all the way through that game. But his bat has been uh, really, really helpful. And unfortunately, <laughs> uh, timing-wise, that was when he had just started to really get on the sort of offense. Uh, then they acquired Neil Walker. So whether or not that's Walker's arrival uh, and Walker individual contributions, they really made a difference. Um, whether he's helped everybody, Kind of step there again. Look, Travis Shaw said something before the trading deadline, the July trading deadline. Um, that stuck with me. And he, he walked it back a little bit in August. But he basically said that if the team were to go out and acquire players, that it shows that the front office believes in the clubhouse, uh, believes in the, in the 25 guys that they have there, uh, and believes in their chances for postseason success and, and furthermore. And they went out and they got a couple of pitchers, but they didn't add anything to the offense in July. So I think part of bringing in Neil Walker, it was a position of need for a long time. After Eric Sogard got hurt and took a long time to come back, uh, somewhat close to the form that he had in the month of May, when he was really kind of the cover off the ball. Uh, second base was a, a black hole for offense for the team for a number of weeks. So the fact that they went out and got a guy in Neil Walker, a veteran, postseason experience, um, everything you could hope for in a guy being available, again, success and versatility as well. But basically everything they would want in a guy to be available in August and go out and, and be able to pick him up from the mess, I think it showed them that, hey, we see a need, we see uh, a lack of something that we can go out and we can fix or at least help out with. So I think that the, the clubhouse responded positively to that addition, positively to that uh, vote of confidence, and we're seeing the results. All right, I'm going to finish you off with this. I'm going to give you a sentence. I'm going to ask you to finish off the sentence. And it can't be something basic like win more games than Rockies or get the Cubs. <laughs> but for for the Brewers to be a postseason team this year, what, what do they need to do uh, here in the final month of the season? Can I say keep on keeping on? Um, they're they're playing great baseball, uh, pitching wise, uh, even defense. They haven't had many lapses lately. They're they're doing the the basics of good baseball is what the Brewers are performing right now. Good pitching will beat good offense on most days, as they say in the game. You know, pitchers with the advantage uh, for the most part. If the Brewers can keep pitching and keep this up and it's so hard to, to go on extended runs of success in any facet of the game because the game will humble you. We all know that as baseball fans. The fact that Milwaukee is where it is is because of its pitching, especially in the second half where the offense has just been not completely comatose, but they, uh, they're they not performing to the level that the, the pre-All-Star breaks Brewers were, were hitting. That's just a fact. So if they can continue to do what they're doing and the offense can come around, um, I think that's they're going to be a playoff team. And they they do need the offense to wake up, though. They, they can't continue to squeak by and use 3-2, 4-2, 2-1 ball games. They, they need a couple of relaxing days like today was. They need a couple of days where, of course, they doesn't even have to think about picking up a baseball in the bullpen. Uh, and they can just post to victories. They need a couple of those. They've been in, uh, the stat was up there, uh, I think Adam McCallie had it um, yesterday or the day before, maybe it was earlier today, it doesn't matter, where the Brewers have played the most, two runs or fewer, decided contests in, in baseball. I guess that kind of weird. So <laughs> they, they played 71 games where this final score was within two runs. So that's a lot of intense, uh, you know, drama-filled, high-leverage, high-intensity innings for the pitching staff. And 
it's helping. Maybe it's helped because they're locked in and they're they're really focused and they're executing and maybe that's what they need. But at the same time, you know, the, the mental stress can be just as high, if not higher than the physical stress. And these guys, like I said, could use a couple of days here and there where they can just close to a victory, maybe like Junior Guerra or whoever, but even if they choose to use that guys this way, whoever is coming to three innings to so mop up a seven-run victory and just and just go home and, and get at it for the next day. So, um if that answers your question, I think that's what I'm going to go with. Absolutely. He is uh, Adam Rigg. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Brewer Nation. And, uh, of course, uh, he is the Brewer Nation, the uh, the uh, judge, jury, and executioner of everything going on over there. Also read him uh, in uh, over at FanRag Sports. Adam, uh, always great to uh, catch up with you. And uh, hopefully the next time we're talking, we're talking about a, uh, a playoff run for this Brewers team. Yeah, so the next time we see each other in person will be a week, and there's going to be some games played, and hopefully the Brewers are in front of the Rockies and in good position by then. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your time. All right, man. Talk to you soon. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers' minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue right now. It is time to go down on the farm. Happy to welcome uh, back onto the program the uh, broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, the high A affiliate of the Brewers. It is uh, Greg Young. Greg, always appreciate you taking some time with us. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Matt? Doing good. Uh, your team uh, going to finish with a uh, winning record, going to finish just outside of the postseason this year. Uh, first uh, year with the Brewers affiliation and everything. It doesn't seem like that long ago that we were talking at the beginning of the year. Give me kind of a, a general synopsis of what this season has been like with so many top prospects uh, coming through the Mudcats. Oh, it's been fun. I mean, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's a team that's going to finish with a winning record, which is something that we, we certainly did not have last year. So that was a vast improvement in that regard. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously they're not going to make the playoffs. They, they fell a little bit short there, so that was a little bit disappointing. But i tell you what, as far as his individual performances go, and you look back at the, the season some of these guys had and put together, I mean, for a lot of them, I think they, they really did take uh, really the, the next step in their careers. And it was fun to see. Uh, it was great to, to, to see the, the hard work pay off for all of these guys, really, um, you know, in, in, in some way for each one individually in, in different ways. But uh, just some of the, the stuff that they did on the field, too, I mean, it really was remarkable. I mean, they, they turned a triple play this season. Uh, we saw Monte Harrison make the, the, the number one uh, play the night on SportsCenter twice here at this ballpark. Um, you know, Harrison reached the 2020 club while playing with the Mudcats here in the second half. Um, you know, we, we saw Lucas Ursig really get hot and do some amazing things here late in the season, too. I mean, it was... I, it, it, it was a year that, again, is going to, to fall a little bit short in, in regard to the postseason. But with, with what these guys did and just showing, you know, how talented they are and, 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 and what the future might hold for them, you got we, we caught a glimpse of it with a lot of them this year, and it was it was fun to see. And they, they all and a lot of them reached some really cool milestones, at least with us and the Mudcats, and, and set a lot of history this season too. So it's 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 been a good run. It's got to be pretty cool to see uh, Lucas Ersig, a guy who spent so much of the year there. He's going to finish out the season at AAA. Yeah. yeah I had a, a double in his first game. I saw that. And then I think just uh, a couple of hits in his in the second game that he played as a pinch hitter. I mean, great for him. You know, I've always thought that, that he was going to find more success the higher that he went. And then and obviously he has to earn the right to, to do that. And, and he has uh, to, to move to AAA as quick as he has. And it's convenient that he's uh, playing on a team that's going to make the playoffs, so they have some games left to be played, and, and he gets a chance to contribute there. Um, but you know, he he his swing is is so smooth and so dialed in that I, I think a lot of times, you know, what, what he sees is maybe it's a good pitcher at this level. Sometimes maybe it just bottoms out on him the way, the way that he didn't expect. Um, yeah, I just I just feel like the more and more that he sees pitches around the zone more consistently, and he'll see that the higher that he goes, and not maybe guessing as much with the way that some of these guys throw out here. And it's all over the place. I think he'll find more hits and he'll find more consistent contact. Maybe that's part of the reason why he played so well in big league spring training, uh, and maybe why the numbers were down a little bit here. I think it was just hard to, to read some of these pitchers at this level. Um, they're going to get more dialed in as they go up, and, and I think he's going to be better and better as he goes up and sees more strikes. And 
good to see him get the triple A as quick as he has. What does it say about this club that uh, out of playoff contingent here for for a couple days, but continuing to win on a six game winning streak going into the final day of of the regular season? I mean, this is not a team that has quit here down the stretch. Yeah, well, these guys, I I think they they all want to prove that they were the team that that we thought they were. You know what I mean? Like it just. When the, when the season began, this team was supposed to be the team in the system that would really do some amazing things. And a lot of them did. It just unfortunately didn't really all click at exactly the same time. And I think it's it's kind of a statement, I think, to the organization maybe that these guys, that they don't quit, that they, they were who we thought they were going to be coming in. It's just unfortunately that they got cold at exactly the wrong time. You know, they, they slipped in August. They had a really hard time against the Bowie Creek Astros, a team that, uh, depending on how things shake out in the final day of the season, they end up winning the second half of the year. They have a better record against those guys. This is a playoff game. If they don't uh, lose some tight games in August here late, they they probably are still in it here at the end and then uh, have a chance to, to maybe play for it in the final day or maybe hit Quince at this point. So it was a team that really just missed the playoffs, unfortunately. But these guys, uh, they I think they, they truly do believe in themselves, especially as a group. And, and the group has been broken up a little bit. You know, it's the guys like Gatewood and Stokes and Diaz and, and Ersing who were together last season, season in Wisconsin. They wanted to win together, I think, is what really what they attempted to do this season. And, um, it, it again, it, it just kind of slipped away there in August a little bit. And then some guys, again, they went up, so the group has broken up a little bit. But uh, these guys, they, they want to win. They believe in themselves. They believe in the talent that they have in this system and in the talent that they have in themselves. Uh, it, it's going to be fun to see them next year in Biloxi or even maybe some of them back here, depending on how things shake out. But it's going to be fun to see how they, they grow in the system and, and what it does to Milwaukee here down the line. There's so many positive things to, to talk about, and we'll get into some more of those. But uh, the, the name that people pay attention to the most on this team is Corey Ray. And I think his season has to be considered a bit of a disappointment, just a two thirty five hitter going into the final day of the season. What's your takeaway from Corey Ray and the season that he had? You know, I, I, I would say that from time to time, and, and I've said this about Isan Diaz, and i said it about Lucas Ersic too, but um, when they were cold, I, I think he, he ran into situations where he was hitting into a, a lot of outs, a lot of atom balls, and I think that kind of carried all throughout the year for him. He never really got away from that. So a little bit, a little bit of it was bad luck. But I think a lot of it was just uh, him needing to to be able to catch up the fastballs. I think that was the biggest problem for him. A lot of the swings and misses from balls that were above his hand and uh, hands and, and, and slightly above his swing. So. Um, maybe laying off of those from time to time might be a little bit more beneficial for him. But then he just catching up to the fastball in general might be something that uh, you can kind of point out and, and maybe say that he struggled with this year. Um, you know, I, I still think that he has the ability to succeed at, at this level and, and, and beyond. Um, you know, I, I think that the fall league will be good for him. Hopefully he can uh, find some confidence and, and build off of that. Uh, the guy is still... You know, uh, just an extremely talented player. I mean, you see it when he's out there in the outfield. I think he plays a great outfield, whether it be in center, left, or right, depending on uh, how things are set up. Usually, center and right, at least here lately. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think he, he runs well on the bases. Um, I think it's just a matter of just getting some innings behind them. You know, it, it, it takes some guys maybe longer than others. Uh, I know he's he's a college guy. He was a college star, obviously. Uh, so maybe he's a bit ahead of the curve coming in than some of the high school guys that were drafted at the same time that he was. But um, it, it might just take a, you know another, I wouldn't say year here at this level. I, I would hope that he gets a chance to be in double-A next year. But um, I think he's earned it and shown that he can he could eventually get there and handle that fine but and handle that challenge. But it, it, it might just take a little bit of time for him to get there. But I still think that the ability is there. I don't think it's anything to be too extremely worried about. But I would say that, yeah, a down season is probably safe to say. Uh, he was an all-star, um, but, uh, you know, things didn't really ramp up any higher than that for him, unfortunately, here in, the, in this season. Do you essentially feel the same way about Hassan Diaz, about his season, and even uh, whether or not he might be back next year as compared to being a double-A guy next year? No, I, I, I think he proved it, that, you know, he's beyond this level. Um, I, I think in, uh, you know, reading recently the reports about the, the handmade surgery that he had, I think that really did affect him more than uh, maybe he led on originally. And I was thinking back on it once I read the report there uh, coming out of Milwaukee that uh, that he went back and, and had the surgery and what have you. That, you know, he, he, he was hitting a lot of balls well, a lot of them the straightaway center. Here at this ballpark, it's nearly impossible unless your name is Monte Harrison to hit one out the straightaway center. 
um, that uh, just we're, we're, we're you know deep enough to get to the warning track, maybe to the wall, but not then enough to get any further than that. And uh, that's not what we saw at him in the first half. When he would square one up, he'd usually pull it into right, and uh, it would go a mile. It would seem like it was still going up when it left. And I, I think that hand injury maybe snuck up on him. And, it, it, again, I think it was a bit more severe earlier in the year, maybe more towards the beginning of the second half. And uh, maybe he had realized or let on, and I think that might have affected the numbers. Because, again, the, the swing seemed fine. You know, I, I think he then started getting frustrated and maybe started to press. Um, one thing about this team, and it's true just up and down, is that it's extremely young, extremely young team. And I'm not trying to use that as a crutch to, to, to try and make excuses for them, but I think as these guys, number one, grow and get stronger, but also, two, see more and more pitches, learn how to handle the ups and downs, um, I, I think you're going to find more consistency out of all of them. So even if, you, if the averages look down for some of these guys, I think that that will change once they, they really begin to uh, understand and handle how to get past the ups and downs and maybe a game where they strike out a few times or they leave some guys on, not to let that frustration overwhelm them and get past it. And, and I think that there's still that talent here. It's still the most talented team that I've ever seen in person collectively. And I, I, I still think that most of these guys, if not all of them, you know, are, are really still on track to do some really cool things. You've already mentioned Monte Harrison a couple times. He gets there in late June, and then he hits 274 in 58 games, 10 home runs, 34 RBIs. What kind of impact did this guy have on this team, and what do you see from him? Somebody who's you know had some uh, some issues to to go through uh, early on in his career, but he's somebody who really got going this year. Yeah, he was incredible. I mean, honestly, and you know, you look at the numbers, and you know, you. It, you, you kind of have to remember that for a lot of those the seasons prior to this one, he was a bit banged up, and he was you know battling through injury last year, obviously with the with the hand and, and, and all that. And you know this year he's healthy; he, he's got a full year of uh, being healthy behind him now, and he's shown what he can do with that. A twenty twenty season. I mean, this guy is uh, the, the power is just off the charts with him. And the thing that I like the most about uh, how, how his season kind of unfolded. Um, really kind of leaving out the early part of July when the, the hand issue kind of sprung up on him again. Really, when he first joined the team, he was fine, but uh, something popped up with his hand, and, and he was down for about a week or two. He didn't go on the DL, but he was just a little bit slowed down by it. But once he came back, he, he got red hot. Um, but the, the thing that I like best about him here recently, at least, is uh, his ability to, to really um, make consistent contact in, in two-strike situations. You know, he... Uh, tonight especially, um, and this is uh, the, the, the team, like you said earlier, it just won its sixth straight game uh, here uh, versus uh, the, the Pelican team that's going to the postseason. Um, uh, Their third straight against them. He had a couple of at-bats where he got behind in a two-strike count and was still able to get two balls and hit them, maybe foul to the right side, or eventually maybe put them into right field, either put them in play to fly out or ground out or get a hit, but uh, not, not backing down in those spots, staying aggressive, but also having a, a good enough swing that is protective, but at the same time productive, if that makes any sense. But um, I also, and he, he really kind of carried the team offensively, I think. He was a huge presence in the lineup, especially when Jake Gatewood left. It really struggled when Gatewood went up to double A in Biloxi, and uh, they were not winning at all the first week that he was gone. And then they've gotten hot lately, and have won now, uh, as we record this, uh, I, I think uh, 16 of. Uh, their last 19, or I'm sorry, 14 of their last 17, I think it is, or 16, but um, they, uh, they, they've they gotten hot again, and it's it's partly, and in large part actually because of him, I think, because he's he's created that presence that Gatewood had in the lineup, the consistent hitter that puts the ball in play and uh, and, and is threatening at the plate, and uh, he's an incredible athlete. You know, he wants to be considered a 5 tool player, and I think he's got pretty much everything there. It's just getting that average a little bit higher, you know, 270 is nothing to, to, to be upset with, but you know, if he wants to be that true five-tool threat, he's going to need to be a little bit more consistent than that. But he's, I think, on the right track to, to, to maybe achieving that one day. Somebody we didn't talk about much during the course of our uh, you know, other conversations in season, but put together really a remarkable season, is Nate Greep. He finishes uh, 30 of 33 in save opportunities, a 2.37 ERA. We see it a lot of times where future relief pitchers in the big leagues or starters in the minors just to be able to work on all their different pitches, and, and they don't convert till later. But here's a guy who's been a relief pitcher at the high A level all season long. Does does his stuff translate? I mean, is this a guy that you feel like has a chance to continue to move up and, and be an impact relief pitcher at the big league level? 
I think continue to move up, absolutely. And I think he'll be a good weapon out of the bullpen, whether it, you know, it's at the higher levels in AA and AAA and maybe eventually the big leagues, too. Um, he was the guy that started originally as a starter. He and I have talked about it a little bit. He did struggle early on. They came to him in his first year and said, like, hey, you know, we want to try you as a closer. And I think he was hesitant at first, but now he's really, really uh, adapted to it and embraced it. He became a full-time closer last season in Wisconsin. He set the saves record for their club that year. He set the saves record here with us. Uh, he picked up his 30th, which is now he just extends the record. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's he's very deceptive, and he's got a fastball that really jumps on guys, and he sets it up well with his curveball and his off-speed stuff in general. One of the things also that he does really well is that he mixes up his tempo, a lot like, say, a guy like Johnny Cueto. So he's fun to watch in that regard because you don't really know what to expect all the time. And he's not very predictable either, and it sneaks up on hitters sometimes. Sometimes he'll quick pitch guys. Sometimes it's just a nice fluid motion where he doesn't pause. Other times where he'll really hold it to the top of his, of his windup with a leg kick and just stop completely. Um, and he's, he's at a point, I think, with that where he's, he's found a comfort zone with it. He began it last year in Wisconsin, but... Um, he, he's on a comfort zone where it doesn't throw him off anymore, but it does throw off hitters. So I think in that regard, yes, he does have this stuff, I think, to have an impact role, whether it be in the big leagues or just at the, the levels higher than here. Um, I think double-A will be a good test for him. Um, he, he didn't really have, just in all honesty, and looking at, say, the numbers for him this year, the strikeout numbers were low for him in the second half, uh, but he pitches the contact extremely well. I think he induced his 12th double play of the season when he was out there during the night that he had the, the, the saves record set here at our place. Um, so I, I think that the, the, the mentality that he had as a starter is kind of carried over into this role as a closer. And, and he gets, gets stronger, and he maybe develops a little bit more snap on his curveball. It's already got really good 12-6 movement on it. But maybe it begins to, to develop that pitch some more and some other stuff, too. Um, I think he... I was telling someone today, uh, you know, I grew up a Giants fan, so I may be most familiar with them, really, but I, Sergio Romo has had a great career with that no-dot slider. I think that the Greek can be a guy who can be deceptive like that with his breaking stuff, and then again with the fastball that's in the low to mid-90s uh, to back it up. So, um, yes, I, I think he's, he's a guy that could find a role, absolutely. I don't know if he'll be a closer uh, necessarily with the, with the Brewers or what have you, but um, and uh, this is just my opinion, but I, I, I do think that, yes, he'll, he'll find a way to, uh, to, to to really make an impact um, with, with the stuff that he has, absolutely. Jordan Yamamoto finishes out the season on an incredible run, scoreless in his last three over the course of 20 innings. He drops his ERA during that period from 3.07 to 2.51. I know you're talking a bit about it, whether or not he's going to get enough innings pitched to be able to qualify for uh, the league leader in ERA. Either way, uh, incredible year, an incredible finish for Yamamoto. Oh, yeah, it was one of the best seasons in the league, and it really kind of went under the radar, and, and part of that was because he missed most of April. He had an injury, but he came back, and he was fantastic. He was a bit limited. Uh, at times, he was sharing his starts with Cody Medeiros, so uh, Yamamoto might start one day, Medeiros would, would pitch in relief, and then they'd switch for the next one. They had a tandem role there, so it was a little bit hidden in, 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 stuff in, in what he was doing, but, I mean, you talk about a guy that just has a bulldog mentality. I mean, he, he works extremely fast. He doesn't shy away from any situation that he's in. Uh, in his final start, he worked his way out of several jams, including a base-loaded spot late in the game as his pitch count was beginning to climb just a little, uh, and just babbled his way through. He, he pitched the contact well here. His strikeouts were fantastic. I mean, he had moments where he was just untouchable, really. I mean, he struck out seven in his last one over seven scoreless. His curveball is great. It's got a really good look to it, really snaps off well. He hides it well. Uh, I think guys don't really see it coming. He's got a good fastball to back it up with, too. Um, but he's a guy that he wanted to go out there and just continue to put up zeros. And, you know, I don't know that he was necessarily aware that he might have an opportunity to finish with the ERA title here in this league. And I think he will get it. I mean, I think he will be able to get the number of innings necessary. But I guess we'll see. But, um, you know, I think that he was then able to, to recognize that maybe that might be a possibility. And I think he really embraced the fact that he can make a run at it. And, I mean, it 21 and a third scoreless things to finish the season. And the last time that he gave up a run, it was late in the game. And it was an, it was an unearned run. I mean, it's uh, just a, a fantastic finish for him. Really incredible stuff. And um, I, he he was a fun guy to watch, no doubt. And, and again, kind of hidden, too, because Burns was so great this year. Corbin Burns was with his team early this season. 
and then he gets kind of buried in the, in the games that or the, the starts that, that Cody Ponce had. He was fantastic yeah. too. Finished probably third in the league in ERA. But um, you know, Yamamoto, I'd, I'd really think took a huge step forward, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe begin to scratch those those top thirty lists and what have you coming up next year. Ponce Burns Yamamoto. I mean, that's a that's a pretty impressive, and not to take anything away from from anybody else who was there. There was a number of impressive uh, pitchers, but my goodness, there were those guys certainly put up some numbers that had everybody taking a look at them. Yeah, there were studs. I mean, we haven't even we won't see Zach Brown again this year. He's done. But I mean, he came in and just blew everybody away when he, when he first came up from Wisconsin. Uh, I mean, he he was just lights out. And Cody Medeiros too. He's had some really good outings this year. And then save a couple bad innings here and there. I mean, he'd he'd have a I think a pretty similar year as you know most of these guys were able to do. So yeah, it it, it really was a very talented group. It's unfortunate that they didn't make the playoffs, but I, again, it's it was a fun season that they really did do some amazing things. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can take the next step forward collectively here in the near future. Who possibly who maybe joined the team late in the season? What guy or what guys are you especially excited about maybe seeing them back with the team next year and what they can do, uh, whether it's in a full season next year or just a, a return trip next year? You know, Zach Brown was probably would probably be the first one. Um, I don't know that you know they're ready to move him to Double A. Um, you know, I, I would say that if he does come back next year, you know, I could see him having kind of like a, a burn where maybe he, he's here for the first month and a half, maybe, and then gets a chance to go up if, if things are going well. If he's right back on plan again, or still is on plan, and maybe that's part of the plan. Um, but he'd be a fun one to see. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. You know, I was thinking about it the other day, which guys might come back, and, and I'm not sure. You know, I, I think that could see Weston Wilson and, and maybe Cooper Hummel come back just because they, they Hummel especially, he skipped low A to come here straight from Helena last season to the Mudcats this year, and he really contributed nicely, and he got better and better as the season went, especially uh, in developing a little bit more power and more consistency when hitting right-handed. He's a guy, he, he told me he's both-handed, so really the either side is better for him necessarily in his mind, but he did hit better from the left side, so it'd be nice to see maybe him come back, uh, maybe find more consistency when hitting uh, from both sides of the plate as a switch hitter, and also maybe in his uh, blocking ability, too, as a catcher. Um, I don't know that Max McDowell would come back, but I could see him really getting hot if he does. Um, I think that he was really on the cusp of beginning to break through and, and finding his swing again uh, here at this level. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of them will go up, especially the guys that you know we came into the year knowing were the uh, the top prospect type guys and what have you. Um, you know, I, I would like to see Trent Clark return just to see if you know he could put together a, a season where his average is a little bit closer to 300 and what have you. But I don't think that it's necessary. I think that he proved that he could play at this level. He walked 98 times uh, entering the, the second to last game of the season. That's a, a team record. So I mean, he's he's clearly beyond this level in regard to his ability to recognize what pitches to hit and which ones which ones to lay off of. So. Um, but I, you know, based on the numbers, maybe they give him a, a run here again, especially if the outfield is crowded in Double A, which I would assume that it would be, considering that Stokes is up there already now. Harrison will most likely move up there next season, and you know, so on and so forth. Ray and, and what have you. So it'll be interesting to see if, if he gets a chance to, to to come back or if he gets a chance to go to Double A. But it'd be fun to see him really kind of take off and kind of have that that big real breakout year that uh, maybe they were hoping that he would find this season. But you know, I. I'm looking forward to see what you know Wisconsin has and, and, and what they'll do there and, and see you know if any of the hell of the guys move up too. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how this team is built next year and um, you know it's uh, it was fun this year and, and I would expect the same for next season too with the way that this system is beginning to, to really uh, level out and, and, and really grow. Yeah, last thing for you, first year of the Brewers organization. How did the fans uh, embrace the the Brewers this year? Well, I think it, it, it was. Maybe at first, I think a lot of them were a little bit uncertain because they weren't really familiar with the players. You know, I think for some, this is Braves country in a way. Um, and I think a lot of folks, when we were a Braves affiliate, although the window was brief, I think they kind of knew some of the names and which, which guys to look out for. So I think that, especially in that this team, the Brewers weren't the Carolina League before, I think a lot of fans really didn't know what to expect, what kind of teams that they would get and what type of players they would see. But this particular group, uh, just athletically, fantastic baseball players, hands down, but then also really outstanding people. There's some really high character guys of this team. So it was an easy team for the, the, the fans here to really kind of latch onto, uh, and really build relationships with, which was the thing that really blew me away how quickly that happened. And, uh, I mean, these guys were great. They, they really enjoyed, 
the spotlight, I think, of, of the fans coming out to see them every single day and interact with them and have fun with them, uh, whether it be here at the ballpark or on social media, too. So uh, the fans here really took a liking to them quick, and I think they built some really good bonds with these guys, and I would imagine that the the next group that's going to come through will be the same. You know, if that's the philosophy, the type of guys that the Brewers are looking for, and I, I think it is, then, I, you know, we're, we're expecting good things to come as, as the seasons roll along here in the Brewers system. But uh, it was great. You know, the fans really, really enjoyed it. There are far more Brewers fans than I thought there would be in North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> that was fun to see, too, and a bit of a surprise. But uh, we were happy to see them, and, and we hope to see them all come back out next year and years beyond. Well, Greg, great stuff. Thank you so much for uh, not just this interview, but the interviews throughout the course of the season. Uh, we'll find some reasons to get you on the podcast here during the course of the off season, but uh, nonetheless, thank you so much uh, for your time uh, all season long. Hey, Matt, thank you and great work, and I uh, appreciate it anytime. Thank you. All right, that was uh, Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats. We certainly appreciate him taking some time uh, with us, and we'll find a reason to get uh, all these guys on from the different uh, minor league affiliates on during the course of the offseason. We still don't completely know what the podcast is going to look like during the offseason, but we'll certainly find uh, reasons to get those guys on. All right, let's look ahead uh, to the week that will be. Again, we record this Sunday night, so there's a pretty good chance, especially with the holiday, that what we talk about here might be uh, a little bit past, but uh, the Brewers will play a Labor Day game in Cincinnati against the Reds. That is a 12-10 first pitch. If you're listening uh, on WTMJ in Milwaukee or across the uh, Brewers Radio Network, for that matter, uh, coverage will begin at 11:35. They will then play a 6-10 game on Tuesday and 11:35 a.m. game on Wednesday before having Thursday off. And then that first of the two remaining series against the Cubs coming up over the course of the weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Chicago against the Cubs. And uh, don't forget, uh, this past week, the the Cubs moved that Friday game on the 8th from an afternoon game to a night game as there's laws in place in Chicago that don't allow the Cubs to play night games at Wrigley during the regular season. Uh, Mayor Ron Emanuel actually lifted that ban for this game, and uh, the Brewers were not happy about it. The Brewers were not happy about it at all because they were changing the schedule for competitive reasons, but sometimes it just feels like the Cubs can do whatever the Cubs want to do. So nonetheless, they'll play a night game on uh, Friday. They'll play a late afternoon game on Saturday, and they'll play an earlier afternoon game on Sunday as they continue to uh, get ready for uh, the uh, the final month of the season, and we'll see. You know, when we talk next week after the three game series against the Cubs, I, I started out the show talking about uh, wild card positioning and wild card versus uh, division race. Maybe that conversation is a week early because I think we'll have a much better feeling for uh, what the Brewers are in contention for as we talk next week after that uh, series against the Cubs. All right, that's going to do it for the program this week. Again, thanks to uh, my two guests. Uh, we had uh, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation and FanRag Sports. Also had on the program um, Greg Young just a few moments ago, the uh, voice of the Carolina Mudcats. Don't forget that you can always listen to Brewers Extra Innings, the post-game show after all Brewers games on WTMJ in Milwaukee. Uh, you can stream it at WTMJ.com. The games uh, don't come across the, st- uh, the stream, but as soon as the network broadcast comes to an end, uh, I pop on. would love for you to uh, join me as we talk all things Brewers after uh, all the games. We will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.